as we get ready to go into this uh, this last sermon of this series, um, just uh, let's join me in a quick word of prayer. Gracious God, we um, are just so thankful uh, for you and your word and all of the things that we have uh, talked about and discussed over the past uh, 10 weeks. Uh, we have seen you work in so many different ways, in personal ways, dear Lord, and in communal ways, dear Lord. And we pray that um, your word sticks to our ribs like peanut butter uh, so that uh, we don't so easily forget the things that we have learned and talked about and discussed and wrestled with, dear Lord. So be with me this morning um, so that your word goes forth the way that you have desired it to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Psalm 51, 10 through 19, we started the first part last week. This week, I kind of tied it with the sermon, The Sin Solution. But the reality, right, there is no, like, perfect, like, equation that helps us, like, overcome sin, so to speak. Like, there's not, like, it's just this simple thing. Um, I think our ability to wrestle with, to power past, to fight uh, sin is something that comes over a depth of relationship with Jesus Christ over time. But I think that there are some things that... uh, that David says in this psalm that gives us a pretty good um, ability to do that. And and I want to start with this thought, though. My mom, one of her favorite verses to quote to me when I was younger uh, was Matthew 12, 34, which reads, You brood of vipers, even though she didn't call me a viper, she kind of just went to this last part. She says, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart does the mouth speak. And it was this constant reminder that no matter what outwardly appearance I wanted to convey, uh, that what is on the inside of me will come through. My grandmother would say something like, it'll all come out in a wash. And it kind of reminds me of that scene that happens in pretty much every movie or every TV show where there's like this important meeting or something happening and there's this person in the main cast that's super outspoken that's probably known for saying like ridiculous stuff or like out-of-pocket stuff. And so it's like, okay, listen, we're about to go in here. Don't say anything. Be quiet. We only have to make it through for like 30 minutes. And then that one character is like foaming at the mouth and you see the camera like keep panning over to him because it's like you know inevitably that person's going to burst out and be themselves. And then within two minutes of the scene and they just break out with some outburst and the whole thing is ruined. It makes me think about that. That ultimately when we haven't done the work on the inside, when we haven't done the interior work, no matter how we dress it up, no matter how uh, nice we look, no matter how fancy the cars we drive, no matter all different things we do to distract that there's something wrong on the inside, that eventually the inside, what's struggling on the inside comes out. That if we're unhealthy spiritually, that if our hearts aren't right, if there is, there is some uncovered, some uh, pain, some suffering, something there that eventually it will come out in how we live. It will come out in how we act. We can try to cover it up all we want, but it won't go away. And so the thing that I want us to take away again 
is that forgiveness isn't the goal. That restoration and sustained relationship is. Because part of the problem that we have is when, we, when we're trying to cover up what's on the inside, when we, when we do things or when we fall, find ourselves kind of falling out of right relationship, we focus on that moment and being forgiveness, but it, of, but it often allows us to forget that part of the reason why we make mistakes or fall in sin is that there's something deeper going on. And if we and if we don't do the work to fix that thing, what we will do is continuously find ourselves in cycles. In cycles, and then we'll just end up in the same place asking forgiveness for the same thing over and over and over and over again. Until we do the hard work. And so again, forgiveness isn't the goal. Restoration is, and part of what happens when we are restored is that we've worked through the things that have called us to fall out of relationship. In the first place, I always tell my students, my kids, my nephews that sorry doesn't mean anything if you don't change the behavior, right? And how many times have you been apologized to for the same thing? And the first time it's like, okay, thanks. Maybe you're the, the husband that has to like, you know, tuck his head and come home with the flowers like, honey, I'm sorry. And maybe the first time she takes him and it's like, oh, I didn't get the vase and, oh, he loves me. He apologized. Oh, thank you. And it's, you know, and then the next time the flowers don't smell as sweet. They don't look as pretty. And time after time after time. So there's, there's this constant reminder that again, like we have to work on the, 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 the issue the main issue in order to really live into the healing and forgiveness that we ask for. We will never not need grace and forgiveness, but what this text is showing us is that there are some changes that we can make that will have lasting effects so that we constantly don't find ourselves in the same position asking for forgiveness for the same thing. So chapter 51, or Psalm 51 Verse 10 through 12, it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with the willing spirit. We have to be willing to break the cycles. And this is difficult because in the moment we are so concerned, excuse me, about the immediate forgiveness that we overlook the long-term process and the long-term work. We overlook that important part. We find ourselves making the same mistakes because we never healed or learned what the initial cause is. And this is the hardest part because, again, oftentimes everyone else around us can see, but we don't. And it sometimes takes huge catastrophic events similar to what David experienced. Long before they lost that child, the, 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 the kingdom workers, the guards, the people in the palace saw that David was going through something. They saw that David wasn't being the king that he had been called to be. He was missing wars. He was calling in people's wives to the king. It was like all these crazy things that David was doing. They saw it long before he did. 
And so part of the hard part of being able to do the work is that we don't often recognize that stuff is going on until something major happens. And it wasn't until that moment when Nathan called him out and he said, oh, God, it's against you that I've sinned. And he started pleading desperately for forgiveness and then lost the child that he recognized that he had hit rock bottom. And I don't know about you, I don't necessarily want to hit rock bottom before I start to make a change. Like in my family, like my sister was the rock bottom. Like she was the one that like learned, had to learn stuff the hard way. And I kind of stood off to the side and like learned, okay, she did this. All right. Because I didn't want to make those same mistakes because I didn't want to be on punishment for six months. Like, I didn't want to get my driver's license taken. Like, I didn't want to get, like, the passcode changed on me. So it was like I, I learned from my sisters being people that make mistakes <laughs> because I didn't want to repeat them. And so David, unfortunately, had to learn the hard way. And his realization is like many of ours, that, that, that our sin separates us from God. And so you see one of the first thing that he says, he says, create in me, oh God, a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. Because he realized, well, here's the thing. If, I, if, if there's not some inner major change, then I'm going to be right back here. It's, it's bigger than the forgiveness in this moment. Like, Lord, you have to change my heart. And so when the scripture, if you look at scripture, it keeps talking about, again, out of the abundance of the heart does the mouth speak. Because our, our hearts, and not our physical hearts, but our inner spirit is what dictates how we live. And so if our spirits are not conformed to the will of God, then it's hard for us to live God-honoring lives. And so he's saying, listen, God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit. Because there's a spirit in me, but it's not the right spirit. There, there's a spirit in me, but it's not your spirit. So I need you to take what's happening inside of me and remove it and create something new in me because I want to be a new person. I want to be I want to be different. I want to be better. And I, and I want to be a person whose life reflects your glory and this what it said cast me away cast me not away from your presence and take not your holy spirit from me because the recognition recognition is this that i can't be the person that god has called me to be separate from god and the holy spirit's influence on my life that i can't i can't do it on my own if i'm not constantly reading scripture if i'm not constantly in prayer if i'm not constantly worshiping if i'm not constantly surrounded by others believers it is really hard for me to have a god honoring life and david recognized that his sin has separated him from God and he realized in that moment that there is no way that I can be better or do better or live better if I'm not reunited with God. And so part of that has to start with a new him getting a clean heart and a renewed spirit. And in this moment when he's down in the dumps and he's sad, he, he's asking, he's saying, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Because right now he was so enamored with guilt that he hadn't forgotten how excited it was to be in the will of God. And so David's saying, listen, I need a do-over. How many of us need a do-over? 
How many of us at some point in our life just needed a fresh start, needed to hit reset, needed to the, 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 the it, our internet spirit was buffering too long and we had to go unplug the modem and, and plug it back in. We need to get re-plugged in. Spiritual reset. Now what is what David was saying. He, he, he recognized that something had to change. We have to be renewed inside. And luckily we serve a God who loves us so much, who is so desperate for connection to us that he wants us to be renewed. So this is not something that he's going to withhold. This is not a request that we ask that he's going to say no. Kayla sang a couple weeks ago this song like your promises are yes and amen like you are faithful. God is faithful forever. And so this faithful God who is faithful now and forevermore wants us to be in relationship with him. And so as David in this moment is crying out, creating me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me, Lord. God is saying yes. And if that's your cry, God is saying yes. And when you make mistakes, God is still saying yes. Because he loved us so much, he sent his son to die for us. And a, and a God that loves us so much that would send his own son to die is not a God that wants to see us separated from him. And so this fear of separation from God causes David to plead mightily and say, Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. And God is there saying yes. But the other thing that happens is this. Because our ability to to be sin free comes from our relationship and our connectivity to God. But the other thing that happens is when that transformative moment happens, it's something that will be noticed. So just like when we're going through stuff and people can see that we're being uncharacteristically like ourselves, when we have those transforming uh, encounters with Jesus Christ, they are also Noticeable when it says this in verse 13, it says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. And here's the thing, he says, when he, he says, when I will teach transgressors your ways, it's not just this like, oh, let me teach law or let me teach you what the word says about you. Because the best way to teach people or the best way for people to learn who God is, is to see your lived expression of forgiveness and faith. See, what, 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 what David was saying here was that as I <coughs> rejoice in your forgiveness, people will see that. What, it, isn't that David that was just in sackcloth and ashes crying with his face in the ground? Living like a person who has been forgiven and redeemed. See, 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 the best way we can teach folks is to show them. I, I, I remember I told you guys a boot camp story last week. I got another boot camp story. When I was in boot camp, I had a stress fracture in my foot. So I was working out so hard because I really wanted to come home buff from my military training. 
So I was working out. I was running. I was doing all this extra stuff. I had a stress fracture on my foot, and it put me on crutches. So I wore the crutches for weeks and weeks and weeks. And when I finally got off the crutches, I was still kind of like limping around. Because I had been on the crutches for so long, I kind of got dependent and I was afraid that if I, if I put too much weight on my foot, that I might refracture that foot. And so when it came time for me to take my test, I wasn't failing, but, 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 but well, I was failing, but I was failing because I wasn't fully moving like a person who was healed. I, I wasn't moving like a person who was healed. Say it again. Maybe you'll catch it. <laughs> I wasn't moving like a person who was healed. Here's the thing. <laughs> See, when we have been forgiven, there's a certain way that we move and that we should live and the way that we should act and the way that we should praise and lift God's name up. See, it's, 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 it's like we, don't, we shouldn't just say amen for my sake of my ego, right? We should be saying amen because we are forgiven and redeemed. Amen? We, we, we should lift our hands in worship when we, when we hear the words of the songs, when we, when we see the words and we can recognize in our own lives how God has been faithful, how through the power of Jesus we have broken cycles of sin in our lives. We should raise our hands and lift our hands and say thank you because God has been so good. And when we, when we rest and reflect on the goodness of God and how much he's forgiven us and how much he's transformed us, it kind of comes out in how we live and how we move and how because we live like we're being redeemed. We live like we've been forgiven. We live like God loves us and people see it. And so people who know your story say, say, wow, like, like how is he or she so confident? Didn't they used to? Didn't they go through? How is it that you can praise God so much even though this has happened? Because God doesn't want us to be stuck with guilt and shame. Because the best testimony, here, here, how, how do you think we can draw people to Christ if as Christians we're always walking around somber and defeated? You think that's, how, how was that attractive to the non-believer? Oh, well, you can, oh, I, just, I just left church. <laughs> God is good all the time. God is good. It doesn't, it doesn't sound like <laughs> we're serving a good God. And so what David was saying, that, that the transformation that he experienced through this, this act of forgiveness for God would, would allow, he, he, that he was so excited, that he was so thankful that his life would begin to draw others to God. Teaching transgressors your ways because God was forgiven. And I'm going to teach through my life that God is a forgiving God. That there's no low that's too low. There's no rock bottom that God can't redeem us from. That is what David was teaching through his restorative process. So David recognized 
the power of forgiveness and knowing that him living through that forgiveness would allow him to draw other people in. It says, oh, oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. We should be declaring wholeheartedly, energetically, the grace of God. Because it's only by his grace that we stand here today, that we sing, that we worship, that we move. He says, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I will give it. You will not be pleased with birth offering. That the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. David realized it didn't matter what he had. That, 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 that the burnt offerings, that money was secondary to a life that was lived glorifying God. So create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. So, so, so that all the things that I do can bring you glory. Because the, the glory is not in the sacrifice. The glory is not in the act. The glory is in the rightness of the heart of the person who was given. Which is why in the New Testament it says, if anyone has ought against his brother, first uh, lay down his sacrifice and then go make things right with his brother. God is saying, like, listen, I care more about... <laughs> You being in right relationship with me and your brothers and sisters in Christ, then I care about what you're bringing to the table. We oftentimes overlook that there's a spiritual component to this stuff. And so, David, I think for us, is laying out this, this sin solution, this sin solution that's saying that it starts. Our ability to overcome sin starts with our hearts being transformed and being made new. And it comes with lives that are reflective of the forgiveness that we've experienced and the renewal that we've experienced. But then the other thing is this. Verse 18 and 19, it says, do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. But 18 again says, do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. It's this recognition that when we are made whole, that when we are in right relationship, there's this realization that it's not about us. There, there's this realization that we are called to build up God's kingdom here on earth now. And part of how the enemy wins is when we get stuck in these cycles of sin and shame, we get so inwardly focused that we forget about the fact that God has called us to something bigger, that God has called us to something outside of ourselves, and that part of us being healthy and being whole is so that we can be the examples that God called us to be outside of the walls of the church. And if we are so consumed by our own stuff, how can we be the witnesses that God has called us to be? And so David now is realizing that, there, that there's this corporate communal uh, 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 link to his freedom. Because him being free as the king meant that he was able to govern the kingdom the way that God had called him to govern the kingdom. Which meant that he was able to lead a kingdom 
who glorify God. And our freedom, our health, our emotional uh, spirituality and our emotional maturity gives us the ability with authority, with authenticity to be Christian witnesses in the world. Because I'm not thinking about my stuff. I'm thinking about all the people in my neighborhood who have yet to know Christ. I'm thinking about all the people at my job. I'm thinking about the people in my family. I'm thinking about the people in in my contact list who have not had a life-changing encounter with God. And when I'm when I'm out of my own mess long enough, when I'm when I'm when I'm when I'm restored and I'm living to that restoration, my life now becomes a witness for God in the kingdom around us. This whole piece of emotionally healthy spirituality is not just for us to be like, oh, man, okay, cool, I'm good. I'm healed. I broke through the wall. Amen. It doesn't stop there. We're called as a church because we are the church. If this building crumbles, we are still Naperville Evangelical, Evangelical Covenant Church. And we still have the same mission and the same call to change the world around us, to share the gospel so that people can know that there is a God who loves us so much. He sent his son to die for us and his son died for us so that we can be reconnected to him for eternity. And that that God loves us so much that he overlooks our sin when we repent so that we can stay in relationship with him and imagine what Naperville could look like if all of us let that be our guiding life mission and imagine what Bolingbrook could look like and imagine what Lyle could look like and Aurora and Schomburg and Chicago and Wheaton <laughs> Because our reach is stronger when we live into this together. So my, my desire for you, my challenge for you, is that we constantly be doing the work so that we can live outside of ourselves, so that we can change the world. Because we can. How many of you believe that we can change the world through the power of the gospel? Amen. We can change the world through the power of the gospel because it was the power of the gospel that changed me. And it was the power of the gospel that changed you. And maybe your life story doesn't have these big tragic events. Maybe you can't look back and, and say like, oh, here was this rock bottom moment. Maybe there was, there was nothing uh, gargantuan that happened. But the gospel still changed you. And the gospel is powerful if we allow it to be. So last week, uh, we put up a couple of questions. And I challenge you to spend the week kind of reflecting on the questions. I don't know if you did it or not. But as we have communion, there's some baskets on the floor.
And if you happened to spend some time reflecting on those questions, and uh, and I don't remember one word for word, I should have brought them up with me, but essentially what we were wanting you to do was to spend some time reflecting on if there was, there was some sin, there was something in your life that you were carrying that you felt like was, was keeping you from connecting to God. Uh, to, to spend some time thinking about that. And if you did it, there's baskets on the floor, and when you come up for communion, as you receive your elements, I encourage you to drop them in the baskets so that we can say a special prayer. Because I believe that many of us have asked for forgiveness for things and that God has granted those forgivenesses. But we still carry that guilt. And I want us to be a congregation full of people who understand that we are not perfect and strive for holiness, but are also living like we've been forgiven. That old song that says, I am redeemed, bought with a price. Jesus has changed my whole life. If anybody asks you just who I am, tell them that I am redeemed. I am redeemed. I am redeemed. I am bigger than my worst mistake. I am better than my worst mistake because God said so. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for your love for us. Your love for us that's deep. Your love for us that cannot be counted, that has no limit. The Lord, my prayer for us is that we are a group of folks who are living like we're redeemed. That we are healthy so that we can embark on the mission that you've called us to. Father, we love you. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.